Before this week's episode, I want to tell you about Starting Out. It's Digiday's latest podcast hosted by our very own Shireen Patak. We talk to leaders in the marketing industry about the ideas that inform their prominent voices and big decisions in the business today. We have guests like HP's Antonio Lucio, GE's Linda Boff, and agency leaders like Jeff Goodby on the show. Find out more at digiday.com or subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or Anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best session from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango and this episode is a session from the Digiday Video Summit that we held in Scottsdale, Arizona. Video publishers are now realizing that there's no jackpot guaranteed at the end of the video rainbow. So what do the new strategies look like? Vox Media has made an investment in producing shows for Netflix, TV networks, and other big content buyers. Vox Entertainment's Chad Mum discusses how Vox is approaching the future of video from the smallest to the biggest screens. Listen in. I'm Tim. This is Chad. Hey. Chad is the star of the show because Chad is a Hollywood hotshot. Oh, boy. So you run Vox Entertainment. That says that on my business card, yeah. It should. Yeah. I, I would have that on business card, LinkedIn, Twitter profile. You should talk. Do you have an agent? No. Well, let's chat. You want to be After my agent? After this? Yeah. There we go. No. So <clears throat> three years ago, you moved out to LA mm -hmm. to start up Vox Entertainment. Mm -hmm. What precipitated that? Like, What brought that about? Were you just like... I want to learn how to surf. It's mainly it was the winter okay. uh, in New York that did it. No. So before uh, starting Vox Entertainment, I was running, I was the creative director of Vox Media, so overseeing all the creative, including our video teams and our, basically any content that wasn't text yeah. uh, that we were publishing, um, and also overseeing our, our creative studio, which did all of the branded content that we've now sort of grown into our main business. And we saw an opportunity at a high level, like Vox Media was started with, in a moment in time in the publishing industry where we thought there was an opportunity to disrupt um, by creating like a multi-brand media company that you know, didn't have a, any legacy media product and we could sort of sink or swim on the idea of like a digital first premium multi-brand media company. It's very like digi-day. It's very jargony. Uh, yeah, anyway, and then, but our, our thought was that if we could, like, prove it and do premium in that context where on the web at that time there was a lot of sort of race to the bottom, like content farming, you know, it was kind of crappy content. Yeah, so we, at that time, like, what was premium? I mean, all the old legacy publishers, like, were premium. So, okay. you know, all the news orgs and the times and things like that. But, like, the pure play digitals were... You know, there was a lot of content farming, SEO optimization. It was sort of a race to the bottom. And I had previously come from AOL with like web blogs, which like what we were doing with Engadget, I think, was like a marker for where premium could be on like the blogging side. Mm -hmm. We did a big, expansive redesign. Like we sort of, you know, tried to innovate on like the look and feel. Uh, anyway, but our bet was um, that if we could build a premium media business that was pure play digital, we could like start capturing more advertising dollars that wasn't just sort of bottom of the funnel. And we'd have an opportunity to have like a seat at the table for the future of the publishing industry. Um, and it, you know, if we could execute on that plan. And, and we were able to do that, I think, pretty successfully. Like, we think very much like Vox is at that table now. Um, and, and so we started to see a lot of similar signals that ex had existed in the publishing industry, which we thought would make an opportunity for us. We started to see the same thing sort of in the television business, which is obviously you know, sort of orders of magnitude bigger business. I mean, it's the biggest media business, essentially. 
And so, you know, but it started to feel like the same winds were shifting just sort of later than they did in publishing, but th they were coming. So the idea of like direct to consumer video programming that people would pay for, like Netflix, you know, the OTT, um, the idea of cable bundles evolving and cracking, like as that business model sort of came under stress and sort of like just got too big for where the demand was. And so he said like, okay, well, if we, if we do exactly the same playbook that we did in the publishing industry where we, we go out and we learn it and we build it and we focus on premium programming that, that we can really root in our brands and we do it ourselves. We don't sort of partner it off and outsource it to Prodco's and just like learn how to do it um, by like grinding out the wins then we'd have an opportunity to sort of have a seat at the table for the future of the television business, which um, has proven to be true. And our strategy is not complicated. It's like three steps. First step is like we want to go out and prove that we can develop and create shows that people want to buy. Right now, the people who want to buy them are networks and like Netflix and CNN and PBS uh, and digital networks. Um, and then... But you know that's not a guarantee either. You've got to you've got to like how do you create things that fit with our brands that people want to buy? Phase two is like we want to we want to retain more and more ownership of that content and build a library of tape, finished tape that we could leverage. So instead of selling maybe shows, we're selling you know a library or a bundle of shows. Uh, and to do that, we need to put up take more risk, so put up more capital. And then the third phase is we want to like get closer and closer to the consumer. So. What we're trying to build is over the next sort of 10 years, like the most premium nonfiction video and audio studio in the world. And then we want to leverage that to, to potentially get like closer and closer to audiences as the OTT opportunity continues to kind of shake out. Got it. And those three steps, are they're in order, like do step one and then They blend. Situated. They okay. blend. I mean, we're not going to skip to step three because yeah. I think that's like, there's just not clear yet right. what that is. So it's like phase one and two are blending together. I mean, we just are premiering our first television show tomorrow uh, on Netflix. Thank you. Uh, that was three years in the works, like the okay, so first idea. Yeah, let's talk about that. Three years in the works. It wasn't like, Chad, you're in LA, Bankoff calls you up. Have you sold something yet? And every day is just called, have you sold Actually, something Actually, it was yet? Sarandos who called me up. Uh, he was okay. like, hey, I hear you're out here. Like, <laughs> let's do a deal. No. Well, you got like, what was it, Hollywood Reporter variety coverage? Yeah, like, yeah. So you were, we it got was some known, coverage, Chad's sure. coming to LA. There was, it was known. But, but was there yeah. a pressure to, we got to do something within the first three months, six months, 12 months? What was the plan? Uh, the plan was to go out and see if we could sell anything. Like, okay. and, and so, you know, there was a lot of, like, partnerships available. So we could go out, and obviously we signed with WME pretty early because we felt like we needed some people who really knew the business. But we didn't want to do was just, like, you know, and they started throwing producers at us, like, great producers, you know, great non-scripted or unscripted non-fiction programming producers, scripted people, and, you know, really talented producers of a lot of success. And it was like, just partner with this company. Like, they'll handle it. You guys have great IP. Just like, give it to them. We'll get you a 50-50 split on the producer fee. And like, it'll be great. And they'll make it. And they'll go straight, you know, they'll pick up the phone and call and sell it over the phone. And it'll be great. And so we did one of those on a show and really had a terrible experience. Like, no. Uh, what happened? We had a great piece of IP with a great, we made this amazing video that went really viral. It was like a very cool idea. And there was like clearly a show and a talent in there. And so we sort of partnered with a, prod, a really well-known production company to do it. And the, the promise was, you know, they could pick up the phone and sell this instantly. Okay. So 
they did sort of. They sold it to like development and made a tape, and we were sort of along for the ride. And like at every decision point, like there's millions of them in content creation. Like they picked the wrong one. Like it was the one that we wouldn't do. And the resulting tape just felt like everything else that was getting produced out of Hollywood. It was or out of that type of show. It was very like male and like lame and cheesy and just felt like not us. And, and so, you know, we were like, I don't think this is going to sell, and it didn't. And, and we're like, we're not doing that anymore. Like, we're going to do this ourselves. And you also realize, too, like, you can't just go sell, like, have a show idea and sell it. Like, you've got to have dozens of show ideas that are all viable that you can pitch to multiple networks, like, where you can get heat, drive a better deal. Um, and, and so, you know, we just realized, like, we were, that one project, which we were so invested in, was, like, one of, like, probably 50 shows on this company's slate. And, like, you know, some junior director like on, of development was, was covering it, and we're like, we we gotta do this ourselves. So we we decided to get serious about it, and we said, you know what, like we're gonna produce everything ourselves. So we, our biggest first fight was, can we sell a show where they like the network will agree to us being the producers of record, where we can actually have the deal with the network, not the Prodco that we're partnered with. You know, then we can take in all of the money for the show, so that's significant top line revenue that flows through us, and you know we're spending it down. But um, but you know he who controls the money like controls the creative for the most part. So if you're not the network funding it, then the next best thing is you can be the one where the, holds the deal and gets cash flowed. So that was a year of just getting that precedent. And then once we got a preferential deal, um, that was a pilot that didn't go. And okay. that was never even announced. But that made us preferential. So we could actually use that precedence to. What does that mean, preferential? Uh, sorry, precedential. So we, we basically got a, a major network to agree to let us be the producers of record. So okay. we hold the deal with them. We don't need a Prodco partner. And that, that deal alone, even though the show didn't ever get moved past the pilot, like that set the precedent for now. We're producing a show for Netflix, we're producing a show for CNN, okay. we're producing a, show, a national show for PBS. We've got you know, ton, like other, dozens of other projects in the works like, across the industry, and like, we are producing everything ourselves. People we're, started looking at you differently because you're producing yourself? Totally. Okay. It just makes you just control, like, control it. You know, you, you have the deal with the network, so ultimately it's like everything flows through you as opposed to you're just a party to an agreement with a, produ a production company. And that's been our approach. It may not be the right approach for everybody, but for us, where we really want to, like, be the producers and be the programmers and prove that our audience, the other piece of it is we really want to bring our audience to it. So we want to market it from our brand. So we really, it needs to be true to what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and so to do that, we need to control it. And the best way to control it is to be able to say, we make those hiring decisions. Right. We, you know, obviously the networks have final sign off, but when it's flowing through you, that's, that's the way we go. And there's this battle for control right now and for ownership yeah. of the content. You did a deal with Netflix. Netflix is, is well known for wanting to own the content, but you also have this kind of advantage compared to a traditional production company in which you can bring audience to it because you got these properties. Right. Plus, you can do, you have this, all these other branches to the business. Yes. When you're in there with, I don't know if you were in there with Ted Sarandos or who you were dealing with on that side, but what was the negotiations like from someone who's a publisher but also a producer? Ted was busy that day. Okay. I don't know why. It, was, uh, it didn't show up in the conference room. But, uh, but they have a great team. So, I mean, we would do the Netflix deal again in a heartbeat, like 100 times over. I mean, everything about it, like, we're satisfied with. Okay. Um, you know, the show is called Explain. comes out tomorrow yep. on Netflix. Uh, we're doing 20 episodes, and uh, the first three are launching tomorrow, and then it'll be a week weekly release, which is like a new thing for them. They're really sort of revamping their weekly release um, 
ideas and how to really bring an audience to it. Was that something that you pushed for? No, no, for? that was them. Okay. You know, they're like, we need to build a habitual behavior. And so like the Michelle Wolf show is going to be weekly as well. Um, I think Hassan Minaj's show will probably oh, right. be weekly yep. when it gets like the details getting out. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm, I'm guessing it will. Chad so, Mom says. Yeah, no, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and so anyway, but like we, the, the show is called Explained. Like Vox has a podcast called Today Explained. Like Vox's whole brand is like of journalism is explaining things. Like they do not like have any sense of ownership over RIP. We can do an explainer show tomorrow. Like, you know, we could put Ezra Klein on MSNBC and like explain what happened today in the news. Like we just, so, so yes, like they own the finished tape, but they paid for it, you know, mm -hmm. and they have a global service. Like I'm so excited that tomorrow they're going to hit a button and in like 160 countries, like they're going to be watching explained in 25 languages, including in Poland, apparently where they have like a person at a lectern, like in a picture in picture, like reading it in Polish, which is the way they do translations for Polish, which is amazing. So I have to find like a VPN or something. But like they've got, you know, we have Spanish language like dubbing. There's a, there's a Brazilian who's reading in the voice of our, of our producers, which is awesome. And so like that deal is great for us. And you know, like sure they own the show in the sense that they paid for the tape, but like, you know, we, we're, we're unencumbered. Like the IP is, it's only strengthening like what Vox can do and where we can produce. So you know, for that deal, it's like I don't, we don't worry about it, hmm. you know. And did that factor into the thinking that okay, we can sell this explainer show to Netflix, but it's kind of in that gray area where yes, they'll own this show, but it is so much part of the DNA of you know what Vox doing. Obviously, Ezra's part of it. Yep. Ezra's not owned by Netflix, no. and so this we're selling them something where they can own this one thing, but it's. They're not owning everything. Yeah, I mean, it's not. They just don't. They own the 20 episodes. Uh -huh. And then they own the rights to order more, which we'd love for them to do. Right. So if you know anybody, tell them, you know, go ahead. Okay. But the, uh, the idea was, like, we, we literally, when, we, when I moved out to L.A., like, the first idea we had was to do an explainer show for Netflix. Like, that was, like, our dream show. That was, like, if we could pick one thing that we could get over the line, it was, like, this. How do you do a, a show like this that helps people understand the world for a, a modern platform where you could do it in an evergreen way? Like, that is the expression of the Vox brand, like, to the highest level. And the fact that we are, like, a day away from that happening, it's, like, that was the first idea we ever had in TV. And we, we pulled it off. And it's way better than I even, like, expected it to be. It's awesome. We have celebrities narrating every episode. For the most part, it's incredible. And so it ended up even bigger than we had in mind, but we pitched it to a major network. I told the story last night. And this is just like the lesson that I think you, you know, Hollywood is like a humbling place. Like it can be very humbling. There's a lot of people who show up with money and ideas and, and, and power and they think they got it. And this town has a way of humbling you. Um, but we, the first meeting we had was we showed up and we met with HBO. And we sat down with uh, Mike Lombardo, who was the head of the network at the time. And, and it was me and Ezra and Jim Bankoff. And we're like, Fox Media, you know, hey, we got all this audience, and basically it's just we're like, we have this great idea for a show. It's going to be awesome. It's explaining the news. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. You should just do it. Like, how many episodes you want? And he was like, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, okay, so you, you hit play, and like, and and the, and the, the the lights come up, and like, what am I seeing? And we're like, what do you mean? They're like, is Ezra there? Like, is he at a desk? Is there an audience? Like, what's the first segment? What does he say? We were you like, want to know everything. Because that's what you have to do. And so he was like, we were like, well, I don't know. It's just going to be great. And he was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he said something that I think changed everything. It also changed, you know, along with the other things, sort of changed everything. He's like, look, 
he's like, guys, like, this is great. Like, I love it. I love Ezra. We could put something into development. Like, we'll work through it. But like, he's like, at the end of the day, like, I have six bullets in my gun. Like, I get six new original series a year, basically, that we can really launch and we can really go. And sitting in the lobby that you guys just sat in is like the most talented people in this entire industry. Like, there's probably the most famous person you've ever seen is probably sitting in the lobby right now who's going to be in the meeting after you. Like, and why are you saying that your, this idea deserves to be one of those six? Like, with all the rest of the industry, all the rest of Hollywood, why is this going to be one of those six? And so when you can answer that question, like, now let's talk. So come back and do that. And so we were like, shit, we better answer those questions. So that's been our approach. We decided to take it seriously. And we said, we're just going to like show up and be one of those six. For every network that we pitch, like, it has to be an idea that you feel like if you pass, you're going to lose your job. That's the kind of shows we want to develop, and that's been our attitude. And it is a total like paradigm shift from sort of the publishing model or the produ you know producing for for the web, where we can throw up ideas, we can iterate, we can test, we can see how it goes. But to to come up, put together a package to make it strong enough where you know when not walking in the room that that person better feel scared of passing. That's a totally different mindset, and and we had to learn it. it took us three years, and and now we're just getting started. We're like at the bottom of the first inning of this of this project, but it's you know it's it's driving meaningful, it's a meaningful business, like already, and, and you know, really like real money. And, and you know, we may not own the rights to like resell international yet, but we've taken like not a lot of risk relative to what the networks are. You know, like if we wanted to do that, there's no secret sauce to getting more rights. Either have a really competitive situation where you've got like a lot of people bidding on it, which means you have an amazing package and that, you know, we've been in those scenarios, or you just put up some risk. So, you know, if we want to co-fund it, like, it's not rocket science, so you know that's that's just a matter of like how, where are you and your risk tolerance? And we're like phase one, we're we're gonna we're gonna take the risk of going out there and learning how to do it, and then phase two, we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit more risk potentially to to be able to like reap more like long term reward. But for us, we couldn't be happier with where we are, and and we couldn't be happier with the show. Hope you check it out, and then the PBS series coming out in July. Um, hope you watch it. Send me notes. <laughs> Let us know. What do you think? Um, Thank you all. Thanks, sir. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Leave us a review. We love to read what you think. Or you can email me at aditi at digiday.com. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>